Welcome to the Working Smarter Podcast presented by Calabrio. This podcast, just like the software we make at Calabrio, is designed to help you get the most out of the resources that are available to you. This includes both technology resources and, more importantly, human resources. In this series, we will discuss industry trends and best practices, as well as sharing success stories and pain points with some of the most innovative professionals in the industry. Join us as we learn and grow together in order to provide world-class customer service to each and every one of our clients. Joining us today is Nicole Price from Radio. Nicole is the customer experience manager for Radio. She is a creative, process-oriented advisor who is passionate about closing the gap between current state customer service and the desired future state using Lean Six Sigma methodology, cutting-edge technology, and coaching and quality techniques to create best-in-class customer service. So, uh, Nicole Price, thank you for joining us. The the myth, the legend from from radio. Uh, it, it's it's funny. I was actually I was I was thinking about titling this podcast "The Price Is Right." <laughs> I, but, when people ask me about my last name, I always say that. Yeah, I, but I thought I might be pigeonholing myself, like uh, backing myself into a corner if I'd had to find a pun for everybody's last name. So I think I'll just. Uh, <laughs> I won't do that. But we'll allow it this one time. Yeah. Okay. Maybe. Maybe that's fair. Um, so uh, uh, during the intro, uh, I did give everybody kind of a high level overview uh, of who you are, but maybe we could start there. We could go a little bit in depth on kind of who you are, your history, how you got into the contact center industry, um, and then maybe talk a little bit about your current role at, at Radial. Sure. So I am the customer experience manager at Radial. Radial has a bit of a history to it. So Radial, as we know it now, used to be part of eBay as eBay Inc. And um, at one point, eBay overall divested both PayPal and us. At that time, we were sold into private equity and then resultingly sold to the Belgian postal system. So technically I'm a government employee (laughs) at this time. Um, So my role is pretty broad. I'm part of the operational excellence team and I oversee quality management, voice of the customer, voice of the customer analytics. And then I also um, am the product owner for Colario, which is how we've come to have this conversation today. I've also just deployed a coaching playbook about a month ago, so that's new to my role too that I just adopted. Okay, so how did you start off in the contact center industry? What 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 brought you into contact centers? Was that what you went to college for? No, <laughs> not at all. Yeah, actually, it was kind of arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Back in two thousand eight, I was actually an event planner, and then company after company that I worked for went under. It was the height of the recession. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I just needed a job. And my father-in-law had heard that eBay was hiring. I didn't even know that eBay was in Utah, which is where we were living at the time. Mm -hmm. And I thought I didn't have anything to lose. So I applied for the job. Turns out that they weren't hiring after all. I don't know where he heard it, but it was kind of kismet because it really changed the entire trajectory of my life. So I started off as an agent in their fraud department and I really expected that it would just be a layover. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of embarrassed to be working in a call center. (laughs) I had a college degree. I was thinking, much greater aspirations for myself than taking calls in a call center. Mm -hmm. But I was able to start working my way up into 
leadership positions in the organization. And I've always been very analytical and they had acquired nice analytics and didn't really know what to do with it, how to operationalize it. And uh, to give me some career development, they took me and one of my peers who was also very analytical and said, we would like you to find a way to operationalize this for the coaching organization, which I was a part of at the time. Mm -hmm. And so we started with two categories. One was uh, dissatisfied callers. And then the other category was mutual silence. So looking at any um, percentage greater than, I think it was 20 or 30% that we were looking at where it was spent in silence, whether that was whole time, dead air, um, what whatever fell into that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what we did is we, we deployed those two categories and we did outlier management essentially. And we were forecasted to save eBay a million dollars just in the first year of operationalizing that for mm-hmm. coaching agents to different behaviors. So then... Um, I saw the opportunity to move within the company to what what is now radial and expand the work that I had been doing. And of course, it was very appealing to move to the beach. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I took an intercompany uh, promotion and transfer to uh, build this program at radial. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, it's it's. Uh it's funny how you talk to people within the contact center industry. Nobody, nobody thinks they're going to end up in contact center, but you know, it's, it's a huge industry and it, and it seems like it, it finds the right people, right? You, you, you get into it and then people just develop a passion for Mm -hmm. it. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's, it's the same with you, but you know, where, where I, I, I come at it for a lot of times from the perspective of a customer, right? So I've had so many bad experiences <laughs> as sure. a customer that, you know, it, it, it's something that really drives me is to try to help contact centers do better and, yeah. and try to help them improve their, their world. So I don't, I'm not sure if that resonates with you at all, but I know it really does. Yeah. I think even from my earliest days, even if I wasn't working in a call center, I did start in the retail industry, just working summers Mm -hmm. at Banana Republic, um, and then working off and on for them, you know, into my adult years for a little bit. And I was always very passionate about giving a personalized, exceptional experience. And Mm -hmm. (laughs) I actually got in trouble at one point because I was a little too overzealous (laughs) in making sure that my peers were doing the same thing. Um, But I've always been very passionate about that because I hate mediocrity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that that's a good probably segue into kind of what our main topic uh, was going to be today. When we talked last week um, about some of the things you were kind of interested in discussing, you know, one of the areas that you really brought up was uh, areas of focus was uh, customer experience in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had a couple of really uh, good buzzwords, I thought. So you talked about the effortless experience mm-hmm. and and what have you done for me lately, right? Right. So maybe you can expand on that a little bit and tell me wh- why that's important and, and how you approach that from, you know, a, a day-to-day perspective. Sure. So I have to have a total fangirl moment. When we talk about Matt Dixon, who's one of the authors mm-hmm. of The Effortless Experience, it is one of my all-time favorite business books and it's a very easy read considering that it's one entire white paper Mm -hmm. essentially but the theories in it are so fascinating because I think it really turns customer experience industry on its head when you consider what's important to customers and how do you operationalize it he makes a really good call out that when he was going through the initial research phases of his project with the CEB that 
businesses thought that they knew it was best in giving things to customers to create loyalty and satisfaction. And when he went through and looked at all of the data, at the end of the day, he found that the most important thing was, of course, getting a satisfied result in as little time as possible with as little effort expounded by the customer to obtain mm-hmm. it. And I think that's kind of mind-blowing because I think when even when you look at clients today that we have or anywhere else in the industry, there's still that thinking that we need to give the customer something to make them happier. But at the end of the day, what does it matter if you're not resolving their issue? Nowadays, we're self-serving a lot of those easy issues for Mm -hmm. customers and our contact types are shifting um, to more complex issues that agents have to be more and more prepared to deal with those complex situations. So, you know, we spend a lot of time trying to reimagine what we do in terms of quality management and analytics to align to those behaviors. What are the things that are most important to drive satisfaction and low customer effort? And we encourage our clients to take those same approaches as well. And in fact, Matt Dixon has now moved on from the CEB. He's working for a company called Tether now, and he continues to research and blog about customer experience and customer efforts specifically. Mm-hmm. So I do follow him, and he has um, put out some new uh, research around uh, driving low customer effort, and I'm going to take those theories and apply it to our C3 analytics competition. We're going to take okay. the same principles <laughs> and the same theories and apply them in the same way that he is with Tether and uh, see how we can apply it and, and get the same principles and, and outcomes at the end for us. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. So that's an experiment you guys are currently yeah. currently working on. Very Super cool. excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I'm curious in, in your particular, you know, line of work, one of the, you know, it's, I think when we talk about the areas of competition, right, it's, it's every, we, we live in an extremely competitive landscape mm-hmm. today. I think every single industry um, across the board is, is, is incredibly competitive. And so that's why, of course, delivering the most outstanding customer experience you can across the board is, is so critically important because it only takes one bad experience to turn somebody off you know, from a brand potentially forever, right? True. So in your particular industry, right, as, a, as an outsourcer, as a, as a company that handles the contacts for other organizations, mm-hmm. do you ever, um, I guess I'm, I'm trying to figure out a, a way to ask this uh, that maybe is politically correct, but do you, do you ever uh, ha- run into issues where you want to provide a certain type of customer service or a certain uh, level of service that, you know, your clients maybe need to get coached into or are, are people pretty open to the types of techniques that you're you're applying uh, I'm just curious how that works in your particular industry I think we are we need to always be good stewards because this business is not only our business but also our clients business mm-hmm. and when I say we need to be good stewards we need to be constantly serving them data that supports the direction they need to move in we pride ourselves on sharing regular data with them, doing deep dives, providing guidance. Um, At the end of the day, of course, it's always the client's decision whether they'll move forward with our recommendations or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But we always try to serve that to them and help them to be good stewards of their own business because we're in it together. It's Mm -hmm. a partnership. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it would it would seem like it's a it's a really great value, right? That your organization can bring with the wealth of experience sure. that you have, you know, providing that level of experience. So just I was just curious yeah. how that how that how that plays out in in the real world. Um, so you you'd made it, you'd mentioned that, and again, I'm cu- really curious how this fits into your specific industry because you talked a little bit about the the way that self service is driving, and we're getting more and more uh, uh, simple level contacts happening through IVR, even happening through chatbots and AI and things of that nature. So it is driving more complex mm-hmm. um, uh, uh, contacts into the contact center. From a coaching and equality perspective, um, you you talked a little bit about. The, the coaching playbook that you, you're putting together. Um, I'm just wondering with, with that type of level of change that we are seeing, and it's fairly recent, you know, it's happened within the last five, five years, I would say is, is a pretty, pretty safe bet. Um, how is that impacting coaching within your organization? Again, especially having to deal with the multitude of clients that you guys have to deal with. I think quality management used to be very siloed and it was done in isolation of other initiatives, usually within the organization. But I think that there, you know, to your point, there's a big shift coming in quality management. It started to happen. The change has been slow because, again, there's change management involved in it. Um, but I think what we really need to do is move more towards embracing technology to provide us guidance on agent performance in ways that we wouldn't and maybe in more ways that we would find subjective or struggle to calibrate on, which is where you see traditional quality historically, mm-hmm. these lengthy forms. We all sit together. We try to calibrate. Everybody disagrees. And then we're really no better off than we were at the start of the calibration session. And maybe mm-hmm. everybody forgets when they go back to their desk. Mm-hmm. If we take out some of that and then replace it with technology, that's really where I see things starting to move. And some forward-looking companies have completely eliminated quality management as a whole because they're moving more towards technology. And so how that falls into coaching is really it's part of the full cycle. Um, you need that feedback loop with mm-hmm. agents to – but, you know, I think and, – and I think this is where the misnomer is, that coaching is that feedback loop. And if it's done well – then it really should be a partnership with the agent Mm -hmm. to co-identify the behaviors and the root causes that are driving good, bad, or indifferent performance and working with them to build the right plan to solve for those root causes and move forward. It's a better approach than sitting down and lecturing to an agent Mm -hmm. about their metrics for 45 minutes. That's not really coaching. That's just feedback. Right. Right. Yeah. And it, it almost one of the ways I, I kind of approach uh, when I when I talk to organizations and, and do consulting work around quality management. One of the things I really try to get people to think about is think about quality management and uh, workforce management to a certain extent. But think of these things as um, employee retention tools. Sure. You know, it's it's not uh, it, it's a way to help someone build their career, to build a tool set um, and to help them better deal with you know issues that they might deal with later. Yeah. So you really, again, to this idea of partnership. And I, I think that's what most employees are looking for. Right. You, you, of course, you've got the bell curve, right, where some some employees are going to be excellent and there's some employees that aren't going to care at all. But the, the majority of people, I think, are, are looking for that. They want to feel valued in the organization. They want to feel that their organization cares about them. And so really partnering up with them, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a really important um, 
uh, path to take. So, And it's not just coaching and quality. It's also what do we do with the analytics that we have access to? Mm-hmm. How do we leverage analytics creatively to provide new insight on agent performance, whether you're using traditional analytics within a call recording and analytics program or whether you're um, going in and doing real analytical work with you know, exports of data, um, being creative in the way you use that. Again, it contributes to the 360 view that we have of agents mm-hmm. and agent performance and, and working well with them to drive better performance. And to your point, drive employee engagement. That's really what it is at the end of the day. And even if you're a top performer, we still care about and maybe, but maybe the conversations are completely different. If you're a top performer, maybe those conversations are, what goals are we going to set to help you take the next step forward in your career? Mm-hmm. Are there experiences that you want to have or do you want to mentor your peers mm-hmm. versus let's overcome some of these challenges in your performance? Um, I think it's an interesting perspective. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I just... Uh, Somebody kind of, uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this before I, I kind of give you my my thoughts, but somebody kind of had, a, I was at a conference last week and somebody said something that was kind of eye-opening to me. So I'm just curious, from a generational perspective, do you see, I'm sure in your organization, like most organizations, you've got different generations of employees, but do you see much of a difference in what your employees are looking for from an employee engagement, a retention perspective, a coaching perspective, generationally? Personally, I don't spend a ton of time looking at it Mm -hmm. from a generational perspective because I really feel like we need to treat all generations of employees equally Mm -hmm. and one generation has just as much merit as the other Mm -hmm. and we need to make sure that our offerings from an employee engagement standpoint reach the broad range of ages and generations Mm -hmm. that we have in our site. So many times I hear tarring and feathering of millennials, right. and I'm a millennial. Uh-huh. I It makes my head snap around yeah. because I just don't understand this animosity mm-hmm. towards millennials. Um, I, I think that our offerings are should be broad. They should... Um, engage agents in the way that they appreciate being motivated. So we do um, employee engagement surveys to better understand uh, how things are going with your supervisor or even the things that you would like to see happen in terms of communication or events or do you want an ice cream machine in the break room, Mm -hmm. which, by the way, we did just put in. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah, Yeah, again, I couldn't couldn't agree with you more. I I, I completely agree. I I think the, the perspective that people need to have is, you know, the what we're talking about here is agent engagement is talking about making your employees feel right. like they're valued. That's not generational. No. This is something that everybody wants and everybody right. has always wanted. It's just that perhaps the millennial generation has brought voice to a lot of these things. That, I think that's a fair statement that everyone has wanted. The really eye opening thing that um, this person at this conference uh, said to me is because, again, that we talk, there's a lot of tar and feathering going on of there the millennial is. generation. And yet at the same time, if you think about it, and this was what it was what really struck home with me, was millennials have been in the workforce for 10 to 15 years at this point. 
If you're Correct. still trying to adapt your contact center <laughs> to what millennials are trying to do, you're What way... are you going to do when you get the Generation Z or whatever is coming exactly, next? Exactly. Right? Exactly. I was like, wow, I had never <laughs> actually thought. About, again, I kind of tried. I, I'm the same as you. I try to view things intergenerationally. I don't right. think it really matters that much. But you hear so much talk about uh, the millennials that it's it really was eye opening to me. Like, we need to stop talking about this because they that's an old story. Well, and not just that, but if you're so hyper focused on one particular subset of mm-hmm. your population. What are you doing for the rest of your population? Right. Are you fretting over their performance as much as you're fretting over the millennials? Yep. I would think you're probably not. So you better get chop chopping <laughs> on paying some attention to them yep. because if you don't, they will leave. Yep. To your point earlier, it's a highly competitive environment out there and you are offering, and by you I mean most companies are offering very competitive benefits to other employees doing sometimes less work or in more quote-unquote favorable environments um, with more favorable hours. So what are you doing just to make your place an attractive place to be? You're spending a significant portion of your life in this place with these people. Mm -hmm. And if you're not happy, well, you can just go someplace else and get similar things, especially the agent population. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, well, I know we've got a, uh, a happy hour that I think I'm keeping you from. Um, <laughs> so I don't want to, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. I really appreciate the conversation. Uh, you, you, you set me up that you want to leave me with a brain teaser I do. today. So I've got my <laughs> pen and paper. I, I hope I don't embarrass myself here, but <laughs> But let's see, let's see what you got. So I'll, I'll provide a little context first. This is a question that I usually ask in interviews because I think it's really telling to see it's completely different than any other interview question that you'll ever be asked. But it's telling to see how people react under pressure. I think it, you really get to see some true insight into what this person will be like on your team and raise any concerns that might be hidden. And I actually hear that they ask this question or have asked this question when you interview at Google. Okay. Okay. So you have seven balls. Okay. They're all the same size, color, shape. Okay. Okay. You also have a scale, like the scales of justice. Okay. If you only weigh the balls twice, which ball is the happiest? If you only weigh the balls twice. And you can't use any other tools except for the scale so no using your hands to try and guess the weight okay so that is a that is a good one uh all right let me think here i'll also say that one of the (laughs) ball that's heaviest is not significantly heavier okay it's enough to tilt the scales Mm -hmm. but not enough to feel it when you're picking it up that that's clearly the heaviest one and we're just using the scale, so I can, I'm not like juggling them. I can't drop them in a pot of water and check Correct. density. All right, all right. Uh, hmm. I honestly don't know. <laughs> I'd have okay. to. I, I think I'd, I'd have to give it some thought, and I don't want to leave a bunch of dead air on this. <laughs> but uh, do you want to give us the answer, okay. or is there an answer? There is absolutely okay. an answer. So um, it's funny that you should say drop them in a pot of water because I gave a similar type of answer when I was asked this Mm -hmm. in an interview. But my answer was more, let me tilt the table and see which one rolls fastest. 
Anyway, what you do is you you take three balls on one side and three balls on the other side, and you leave one off. Okay. So your two options are either that the balls weigh out or that one side is heavier. Okay. So if your balls weigh out, then you know that the heaviest ball is the ball that was left off the scale. Okay. If you have one side that is heavier, then what you do is you repeat the exercise with the three remaining balls. One on one side, one on one side, and one off the scale. Okay. Because then they'll either weigh out, or uh, and then the heaviest one will be on the table, or one will be heavier, which of okay. course then identifies the one ball. So only okay. So only one of the balls is heavier Correct. than the others. The other, I, I should ask that clarifying question <laughs> then, because yeah, okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. I was thinking they were all different weights, and I had to try to figure out which was heavier. But okay, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. See, there you go. I wouldn't get a job at radio because I just gave up immediately. <laughs> but so. it's funny because I still, um, you know, it's not a factoring decision in the hiring unless the person completely blows up, which, by the way, I have had happen when I have asked yeah. that question. But I do, um, I think it's a great way to lighten the mood of an interview. And uh, I do have people who will come back to me after the fact and say, can you tell me the answer yeah. now? Yeah, <laughs> They yeah. get so excited. Because you don't the tell the answer in the interview, right? Of course. So, of course. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that was great. That was great. Well, again, thank you for your time. Really appreciated having you here and taking part in our, our new little venture here. It's been my um, pleasure. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully we'll be talking again soon. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Bye.